it's time to join the conversation on Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, a podcast about healing after a stroke or any life-altering event. I'm Christine, your host and a stroke survivor. I had a pontine hemorrhagic stroke. Me and the whole Seven Jars team want you to join in. Learn, laugh, and know you're not alone. Welcome to Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Season 2, Episode 9, Time is Brain. The information and advice provided by Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Ken and Christine Jackson, and the speakers and commentators on their podcasts, interviews, and references in the book are not a substitute for the advice and treatment plan provided by your own healthcare professional. Further, it's not intended to be an adjunct to any existing or proposed advice or treatment plan you may currently be receiving from your healthcare professional. One of the most important things that we've come to realize is that each individual and their family's journey through a stroke or major life event and its recovery is truly unique. The story and information provided by ourselves and our guests is solely intended to let you and your family know that one, you're not alone. Other people and families have gone through or are going through similar experiences. Two, there are resources available that you may not be aware of that may help you and your family through the stroke recovery process. And three, there may be other treatment options available. Again, please consult your healthcare professional regarding your treatment plan and do not follow the treatment plans that are discussed in the information that we have provided as it is solely intended and directed for Christine and her continuing care. Thank you. You can join the conversation on YouTube and Facebook at Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers for our video version of the podcast. You can check out our website at sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com or you can download our podcasts on iTunes or Podbean. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Seven Jars. Now it's time for Quote of the Cast. Actions speak louder than words, but not nearly as often. Mark Twain. The phrase time is brain emphasizes the need for quick treatment when someone is experiencing a stroke due to the number of neurons lost per minute. It could be as many as two million minutes can make a difference in recovery for someone having a stroke. But before any treatment can be given, it must be determined what type of stroke a person is having. The majority of strokes are ischemic, a blockage of blood and nutrients to the brain. Depending on the type of blockage, life and brain-saving drugs can be administered. But again, time is of the essence. I had a hemorrhagic stroke bleeding in my brain. That meant the doctors could not use the same type of medication given to patients who experience an ischemic stroke. It would have the opposite effect, causing more damage. That's why determining the type of stroke is so important. A CT scan can quickly discover what type of stroke a person is having. When minutes count, getting to a hospital, then getting to imaging to have a CT scan done 
all takes time. Here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, action is speaking loudly. A group of dedicated people are trialing an ambulance capable of performing CT scans. When minutes count, it can make all the difference in the outcome for someone having a stroke. Introducing today's guest. Dr. Jerrica Phil became an MD at the University of Saskatchewan and then continued on with a neurology residency at the University of Alberta. He is currently the Associate Director for the Edmonton Stroke Program, Associate Professor with the University of Alberta, the Northern Stroke Lead for the Cardiovascular and Stroke Strategic Clinic Network, and a General Neurology Stroke and Telehealth Neurologist with Alberta Health Services. He is also currently involved with the Stroke Ambulance Project, the first of its kind in Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Drakathil. We are so pleased you could spare some time from your busy schedule to be here with us today and share information about Edmonton's Stroke Ambulance. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. So first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a stroke neurologist uh, here at the University of Alberta uh, in Edmonton. And uh, I'm, uh, my focus is uh, education, research, and clinical work in stroke. And I do a lot of health services research projects whereby you create a change in care in the system and then evaluate how it works. Right. Oh, fantastic. So how about your involvement with the stroke ambulance? Yeah, well, the Stroke Ambulance is uh, a, a project that's designed to treat uh, a disease called ischemic stroke, oh, okay. which is stroke from blocked blood vessels. So okay. it's the most common kind of stroke. 85% of people with strokes have ischemic stroke. Right. And the problem with an ischemic stroke is time. So mm. with every minute that goes by when an, when an artery is blocked, you lose 2 million brain cells. And so if you live uh, close to uh, a stroke treatment center, like, for example, in, in Edmonton, or if you live in a rural area but close to a primary stroke center, right. you can get to care fairly quickly. Right. But the problem is, if you live in a remote location, you know, in al across Alberta, I can mm -hmm. tell you about Drayton Valley, Slave Lake, Athabasca, Vegreville, all right. these places are not close to a clot-busting center. So oh, if, you, okay. if, you, if you live there, you're at a considerable disadvantage uh, mm -hmm. when you have a stroke because a lot of time goes by before you can get treated. Right. And that's actually where a stroke ambulance fits in. Uh, the concept is, you know, we send this vehicle out to meet you, and it's capable mm -hmm. of treating stroke. And that's the rationale behind the project. Amazing. So can you describe what is a stroke ambulance? How can you treat stroke with this ambulance? So the, the stroke ambulance is like a conventional ambulance, uh, other than the fact that uh, it's usually a little larger. Okay. Because it has to house a head-only CT scanner. Wow. And so that's about a thousand pound scanner that has to be secured Ooh. by, you know, <laughs> heavy equipment and right. uh, heavy fasteners. And the stroke ambulance also has other things most ambulances don't have. It's got a video conferencing system. Okay. It has a point-of-care lab system okay. as well. And it has a larger crew. So our oh. stroke ambulance actually has... Uh, a, an advanced care paramedic, a primary care paramedic, a specially trained nurse, oh. a stroke fellow who's a trainee in stroke, 
oh, okay. a diagnostic imaging technologist as well. So wow. they have a, it has a crew of five. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. it's quite it's quite a quite a few people. Right. And across the world, there are uh, more than a dozen stroke ambulances across the world. Now we're approaching twenty every three months. There seems to be another one that oh. <laughs> people are building, but right. all of these across the world are mm. focused on treating people in urban areas. Oh. This is the first stroke ambulance in the world that has uh, a rural focus. Amazing. And it's the first stroke ambulance in Canada that we have yes. so far as well. And right here in Edmonton, that's fantastic. And rural, I mean, Canada is so geologically diverse. It's something. So with the CT scanner right in the ambulance, what about radiation? So the the we actually convened, uh, before we designed this stroke ambulance, there was a lot of planning. We convened nine working groups. There were over 100 people that participated uh, from uh, Alberta Health to the College of Physicians and Surgeons to physicians to emergency medicine to emergency medical services. Uh, So all the radiation safety issues were very well dealt with. Mm -hmm. And the vehicle itself, uh, the, the scanner itself has been tested in terms of how much radiation it emits, and the vehicle itself has been thoroughly radiation tested as well. So right. it, it can actually scan quite safely uh, in, you know, in, in rural areas where it actually rendezvous with incoming ambulances. Okay, so it'll travel and meet an ambulance to get the most efficient use of time for someone experiencing a stroke. That's exactly right. So the, the way that we have designed it uh, a physician or an ambulance crew in a rural area will determine that they have a stroke patient so right. they may have walked into an emergency department or maybe an ambulance crew is responding to them mm-hmm. at the scene right and then they'll recognize that it's a stroke and that they aren't uh, very close to a primary stroke center which is a clot busting center okay. that's when they'll actually activate uh, they'll actually call into our stroke dispatch system so we have, we have a pretty organized stroke dispatch system in alberta oh. and in the north so the crew will actually call in and immediately get connected with the telestroke neurologist and then we'll determine the next step whether the crew will go to the closest hospital or whether we'll actually deploy the stroke ambulance if we do that both vehicles will start driving towards each other in other words oh. the rural ambulance will start driving towards edmonton and the stroke ambulance which is based at the University Hospital, right. we'll start driving out towards the incoming ambulance. And they'll meet halfway, so they'll actually save, you know, anywhere from mm-hmm. 90 minutes potentially to a couple of hours on the no treatment doubt. times, which could be, you know, 240 million brain cells. And that could make the difference between uh, a stroke where a person makes a complete recovery versus being in a nursing home. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. So you said it's a team of five who travels in the stroke ambulance. So. Do you have different people on call? Or, I mean, strokes happen any time of day. So right now, the, the pilot, the project is structured as a pilot project. Oh, okay. And the vehicle's operational from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m. Oh, okay. And so the crew, uh, they're ready to go at any given time if there is a dispatch. But they actually work within the university hospital delivering care oh, okay. while they're not on deployment. So some models of ambulances, uh, the, the crew will wait in a station somewhere until they mm-hmm. get deployed. In this situation, the crew is actually working in the emergency department right. or in diagnostic imaging while waiting to go on deployment. So they actually add a lot of value even when they're not on deployment. And then, of right. course, they add value when they're on deployment. Makes sense. Best use of their knowledge and training, right? Absolutely. So once um, the, C- or the stroke ambulance has a patient and they've completed tests, what happens next? Any treatments given right in the ambulance? Yeah, absolutely. So the 
the stroke ambulance will rendezvous with the incoming ambulance. They will, working with the incoming crew, mm -hmm. transfer the patient into the stroke ambulance. Right. So then what we do is we then level the vehicle. We have, a, we have a hydraulic leveling system, and that sounds mundane, but you can't actually <laughs> scan until the vehicle is perfectly flat. So in snowy yeah. Alberta or Canada roads, yeah. you need to find a way of making that vehicle flat on very uneven terrain. So the leveling system right. kicks in. We level the vehicle until yeah. it's perfectly flat. Then they're able to examine the patient, and I, as so the other person involved here remotely is the telestroke neurologist. So okay. we have a very well-established telestroke system in Alberta where when I'm on call, I will video conference into one of 11 primary stroke centers. I'll examine really? the patient with the doctor who's there, and we'll give clot-busting drugs, making the decision together. Wow. So the, the stroke ambulance is an extension, a mobile extension of our telestroke system. Right. So the telestroke doc on call, which is me, I'll be back mm -hmm. at the university hospital and I'll actually uh, examine the patient via video conference in the vehicle itself. Really? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be able to talk to them and I'll be able to see them. And there's actually a camera and a screen on the ceiling of the vehicle <laughs> so that they can see me while I'm, while, while I'm watching them and another one at the back of the vehicle. And so we'll examine the patient and then we'll make a decision uh, on whether it's a stroke syndrome or not mm -hmm. and whether a CT scan should be done, which is usually the answer to that, to that question is yes. Right. So then we'll scan their head and then the images will be sent by a secure transmission to the server right. at the University Hospital where I'll look at it online. Oh, so okay. I'll have seen the patient, examining them with the crew, and then I'll be able to see the CT scan. And of course, the stroke fellow, which is a neurologist training in stroke, is there right. as well. And they're there as our backup. So oh, if we okay. have a technology failure, the stroke mm -hmm. fellow can read a CT scan and examine a patient, and we can still treat. Oh, so it's a level of redundancy mm -hmm. uh, for rural dispatches. And a lot of stroke ambulances in the world actually have you know, a physician on board. Not all mm -hmm. of them. The models will differ. Right. And can they administer um, the clot-busting Absolutely. Yes, really? we can actually administer a variety of medications, uh, including you know, uh, critical care medications, blood pressure control medications, and the clot-busting drug right there. So the phrase time is brain is of utmost importance there because you're reducing all that time, as you said. Absolutely. You, you could be, like I said, if you save an hour for treatment, you could mm -hmm. be saving 120 million brain cells. If you save wow. two hours, double that much. So you could, yeah. be, you could be making a really big difference for that patient. No and the reality doubt. is the average rate of, of brain cell loss is 2 million brain cells per minute. So if you like numbers, so it's 2 million brain cells, 14 billion synapses or brain connections and 12 kilometers of fiber of brain fibers lost every minute. Oh my gosh. But for everybody, it's different because we right. all have accessory blood vessels called collaterals. And okay. we never know when our personal collateral system might fail. So the 2 million brain cells per minute is the average loss. But some people can have a blood vessel blockage for 60 minutes and then lose their collaterals. And then the uh, whole stroke will complete itself within minutes. Wow. So we never know yeah. for any given person what the state of their collaterals is. So we want to treat everybody as quickly as we safely can. Makes sense for sure. So um, how did it end up this only one in Canada, in Edmonton, Alberta? Well, the... the um, the idea of a stroke ambulance, actually Dr. Schwabe, who's the other uh, co-principal here, mm -hmm. 
had the idea probably when I was still a resident. Oh. <laughs> and, and I would make fun of him. I said, oh, yeah, stroke Winnebago. Uh, and, and, and the, and, and, but nobody was ready for it at that time. And in fact, right. uh, the, the, this province wasn't ready for it either. In fact, most places weren't. But it was the Germans that actually, so that concept caught on. Oh. But the Germans actually created the first one. Really? And then people thought, well, this is actually possible now. Mm-hmm. And so you have, uh, you know, the, the proof of concept was there. Right. And so the different places started to create these vehicles thinking, well, there's a role for this vehicle maybe in our system. Okay. Uh, but can, but it's a lot of work to create a stroke ambulance. It was an incredible mm-hmm. amount of work. Uh, you aren't given one, as they say. Oh, uh, okay. it's an, you, there have to be a lot of people that really get behind this project to actually make it work. So we had over 100 people right. collaborating with us to make this one from concept to reality. Uh, so I call it our our bouncing baby 11-ton stroke ambulance. So it's, it's, it's really, it's a toddler now. It's just passed about 18 months <laughs> in terms of implementation. Uh, but it isn't easy to create a stroke ambulance. Uh, but hopefully now, from our experiences, it'll be easier to do this mm-hmm. in other places in Canada. And we are hoping that from our experiences, we'll actually be able to test a lot of ideas of deployment for the rest of the Canadian system well, so that they can make great. decisions on, on where these vehicles should go elsewhere. So is it actually built right here in Edmonton as well then? So it was designed here, okay. uh, uh, and then it was actually built in Quebec oh, by okay. Demers in Quebec. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but a lot of the detailed planning, simulations, uh, you know, the, the concept of construction, those things were actually done here by multiple healthcare right. providers and right. all the different people that I've mentioned. Wow, incredible. So when did the trial or the pilot project begin for the stroke, stroke ambulance? Like, when was it actually in use? So we, we actually, this project is funded by philanthropy. So it's the University Hospital Foundation that's actually provided over 90% of the funds for this project. Oh, okay. And then we have received funding from peer-reviewed granting agencies as well, mm-hmm. scientific agencies as well. So that actually funded the pilot. And so the oh, pilot okay. launched in February of 2017. Oh, okay. And so we've just passed, essentially, the 18-month mm-hmm. mark. Yeah. And how long is the pilot um, scheduled to continue? Well, it actually, the pilot actually concludes March 30th of 2019. Oh, so quick. So, yeah, we're currently <laughs> in the situation of looking at the data so far and mm-hmm. compiling, you know, a, an economic argument to figure out right. what happens to the vehicle and the project next. Okay. So, um, I read there was different phases. Do the phases um, relate to the phases of the pilot or the use of that ambulance it's the it's the phases of the pilot okay yeah because the entire thing really is a pilot right now Uh, and it also relates to the phases of the ambulance Uh, it it doesn't relate to construction though so the ambulance was all constructed and radiation safety proofed and all that Mm -hmm. testing was done by the time phase one launched and phase one is true rural deployment where we actually deploy to people outside of the edmonton zone okay and phase two was actually deploying the vehicle to hospitals within the Edmonton zone where they don't have a CT scanner or they mm. don't give clot busting drugs. Right. All right. So we can actually, in many cases, beat inter-hospital transport, transporting oh. them to, say, the university by deploying the vehicle directly to mm. these hospitals, like the Northeast right. Center, like Stony Plain, for example. Oh, so we'll send yeah. the vehicle directly there and we'll actually treat the pa- patient right there uh, in, in that hospital, sometimes oh. in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but we, we can actually do it faster than uh, a transport to a different clot busting center. Right. And then phase three is where we use the vehicle to transport patients more quickly for a more advanced type of stroke treatment, oh, which is okay. which is 
endovascular therapy. So the most severe strokes can't always be treated by TPA, the people Mm -hmm. with the biggest clots. Mm -hmm. And so we actually bring those people to the university hospital only in the whole north of the province. It's only the University of Alberta Hospital that actually provides this therapy. But with the stroke ambulance, we can actually start examining them in the Mm -hmm. in the vehicle and understand the patient much faster and get them into the cath lab faster. So, so that's phase go. three. So they might have already received TPA or they might not even be a TPA candidate right. because of the time from onset. Mm-hmm. But we can get them more quickly into our neuroangiography suite for right. endovascular care. Be prepared for them for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So how far outside of Edmonton into the rural area would the stroke ambulance travel? So we have a 250 kilometer uh deployment radius around Edmonton. However, that relates to the patient's origin. So the patient will originate for our, for this project within 250 kilometers circle around the university hospital. And, and then what happens is the incoming ambulance, we actually meet about halfway through that distance. So usually our average, our average transport times are closer to 60 minutes or 90 minutes Mm -hmm. because we meet halfway, but the patient can originate within 250 kilometers of the U of, U of A. Okay, perfect. So in previous interviews we've done for the podcast, it was stressed for treating stroke to call 911 for the best treatment. Is that part of the initiative I've heard you talk about called Quicker? So uh, actually the, the, the Quicker initiative uh, relates to getting clot busting centers to treat people faster oh, okay. so and that's also very important so so it's actually right. there's about 20 things that have to happen between oh. the time the patient rolls in the door and the time you give them a clot busting drug really? and if you inadvertently take two or three or four extra minutes for each of those mm-hmm. 20 steps suddenly you've prolonged the treatment time by a considerable amount so the quicker right. project which we've launched is really working with all of our clot busting centers to treat stroke faster. And we've been very successful with quicker. We've actually dropped our average provincial treatment times from about 65 minutes to about 34 minutes across the province. Well, and that involves small rural clot busting centers. So when I give talks in the US, I will tell them that small hospitals in Canada named after animals (laughs) like Red Deer are beating US quaternary care centers in their door to needle times, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Leadership is being shown by rural areas, which is really great. So that's quicker. But we've had other education campaigns Mm -hmm. to the public about calling 911 for a stroke, the Mm -hmm. FAST campaign, which we've promoted through our provincial stroke strategy and our clinical network. So that's also very important. FAST recognition of stroke in the population. For sure. I agree. And we always mention FAST at the end of our podcast to help with that education. So... um, how is it determined when the stroke ambulance is used? The, that's a very good question. Um, so right now, it's, u- it's restricted by the hours of operation, which is 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Right. And also, uh, it, if, if a patient goes into an established clot-busting center, mm-hmm. that probably isn't a good patient to have the stroke ambulance mm-hmm. deployed because they're already at a clot-busting center. Right. So it's a patient that walks into a rural hospital, which is not a clot-busting center, or a patient seen by an ambulance crew on the mm-hmm. scene, oh, uh, okay. some distance away from a clot-busting center. That's the kind of patient that should be a stroke ambulance deployment. Okay. And, and that's exactly the kind of patient that we get deployed on. So is it often calls from other medical 
areas that call the stroke Absolutely. Ambulance? So that, that's exactly how it works now. Oh, so it's, okay. uh, there has to be a, a health practitioner that responds first. Mm. So in other words, with our current rural model, uh, the ambulance crew will respond or the patient will walk into or be delivered to uh, a hospital. Those are the places that currently activate the stroke ambulance. Oh, okay. Yeah. And at some point, we might be looking at urban deployment, but that hasn't happened yet, where you have a 911 call. Mm-hmm. And this is how other stroke ambulances across the world operate. So you'll have a 911 call, and uh, a regular ambulance is dispatched to that 911 call, and the stroke ambulance is co-dispatched. And then what happens is, depending on what the regular ambulance sees, they might stand the stroke ambulance down or continue with the call if it looks Mm -hmm. like a stroke, and then they'll deliver care in that way. All right, and so that's the urban deployment model, but we're really, you know, the world's first rural stroke ambulance, so we've been focusing on the rural service delivery model first. Of course, that makes sense. So... Um, I heard in my research, um, one of the neurologists saying the stroke ambulance is the way to give everyone a chance for a full recovery. So that's one of the goals. What are some of the other goals with the stroke ambulance? The, that's the major goal. Uh, but, but with a rural stroke ambulance, we're finding that there are other potential benefits. So first off, uh, there are many instances where I can actually do a, where I can do a consultation, a very detailed consultation via video conference, even talk to family members on the road uh, and and actually advise them as to what's going on. In some of those situations, we will then take the patient in the stroke ambulance towards the university hospital because they need that level of care. Right. Uh, And in that case, the stroke ambulance takes the patient and the rural ambulance crew can return back to their area to service other people, to look after other people's needs. Mm -hmm. In other situations, uh, I can determine that this patient, A, is not a stroke, or Mm -hmm. B, does not need tertiary care and can actually be served just as well close to home, Mm -hmm. close to family, in a rural hospital, in which case we'll send them back to the rural hospital with their ambulance crew, and that keeps Mm -hmm. the patient close to home. It still Mm -hmm. lets them have the care they need, and it lets the ambulance crew go back to serving their region. So we we actually allow ambulance crews and patients to be given care closer to home while right. still doing a detailed neurological consultation. And we actually can avoid about a third of people going to tertiary care that might not need to go there, which actually saves those emergency beds for other people that do need tertiary care. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. So there's other benefits we might not have thought about right. that we're seeing occur. Well, so many. And the main one, as has been stated before, giving everyone a chance for a full recovery that's incredible. So what will happen when the pilot project finishes in March 2019? Well, at that point, um, the, we're going to have to have a decision to make with the health system. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's going to be based on our economic analysis of the benefit of the project, the cost right. of the project, and uh, what we've been able to implement. Right. A- and then we're going to have to decide w- what we do with the project. You know, And, and mm-hmm. at this point in time, we don't know exactly what's oh. going to happen uh, at the end of March. So how often, I don't, you may not know these numbers, but how often is the stroke ambulance being used? So it's, it's, it's had uh, probably a 99 deployments to date oh, okay. over 18 months. That's quite a bit. It's quite a few, mm-hmm. but it's actually fewer than we expected. Oh, okay. And I think the analogy is like STARS or the Cardiac Vital Heart Program. So when STARS first launched, it ran about 200 missions in its first year. Right. Now it does over 3,000. So it takes yeah. time for an oh, innovation does. to actually get into the fabric of 
healthcare practitioners, yeah. you know, uh, usual process. So we For have sure. to become a part of the usual process of care, and people have to think about activating mm-hmm. this innovative uh, you know, model of care, and they don't right. always do that. And it takes, it takes actually a few years for those practices to change and for especially if you think of it people are trying to think about this in the middle of an emergency and they don't even health practitioners don't necessarily think of it in the middle of an emergency and so that's actually we actually think there's actually room for growth in terms of the numbers i think there'll be tons of room for growth and yeah in an emergency you go to what you've been trained and know instead of exactly thinking of something new that's right so what do you see for the future of stroke ambulance well, our preliminary data, uh, other than some of those uh, outcomes about rediversion and keeping people in their in their uh, close to their homes, that, mm-hmm. that we've seen our preliminary data shows that uh, our good outcome rate uh, is seventy to eighty percent, which is higher than any other trial of stroke that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, and so it's very preliminary, right. uh, but the signal that we're seeing is actually a good one. Uh, there's also right. some evidence that the vehicle uh, can produce uh, a cost avoidance. So by uh, by spending a bit of money up front for a stroke ambulance program, increasing mm-hmm. the numbers, you can actually save disability costs. Mm-hmm. You know, the average long-term care cost can be $80,000 a year. For so sure. by preventing disability, you could actually be avoiding future costs while improving outcomes. So my mm-hmm. personal feeling is that uh, stroke ambulances, and, and, I, and I can speculate here, I, th- I think there's a role for stroke ambulances mm-hmm. in the Canadian health system in particular, both mm-hmm. in rural deployment, which is sort of this new area, uh, which maybe serves Canada's geography and the geography right. of other countries, like, for, for example, Australia, uh, and also in urban areas. I do see a role for this vehicle, uh, but really we're in the process right now of still defining it. Of course. I mean, you have to learn there's that growth period, but Yes, a vision of having more available, and because Canada is so spread out, as you've said, uh, amazing goals and just amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for all the information. Any last words or thoughts, knowing that many of our listeners are stroke survivors or have had their lives touched by stroke? Well, just one comment, and that is, you know, we're usually... uh, in the habit of bringing the patient to the hospital right. and in this case we're going we're bringing the hospital to the patient and so it, yeah. and i think where it makes sense to do so we need to look more into doing that right. and really i think that um you know the stroke ambulance uh is is one piece i think in a chain of response to stroke mm-hmm. and you know i think we have uh, a lot of other pieces as well that are uh, that are really important uh mm-hmm. and, and i and i just think that uh it's important for us to really explore how this piece uh can further contribute to improving people's outcomes Uh, I agree, and Alberta definitely seems to be one of the leaders in stroke care, so it's a very exciting time for everyone. Thank you so much for your time, your knowledge, words of wisdom and hope, and for letting everyone know about the wonderful innovations happening right here in Edmonton. Thank you and the whole team who are dedicated to fighting this terrible disease. Well, thank you, and thanks for your interest, and thanks for inviting me. Did you know that you can follow us on Twitter, at 7jars? We post daily with all the latest stroke research, innovation, and inspiration. Follow us. Now it's time for the joke of the week. Hey Ken, this one isn't a real joke, but it is good advice for everyone. Well, what is it? 
never do anything you wouldn't want to explain to a paramedic. <laughs> like, um, maybe putting your tongue on a metal pole when it's minus 20? <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Now it's time for our segment on Survivor Stories. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to share your own stroke or survival story, or your experience as a caregiver, you can submit your story through our website at 7 Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, or personal message us on Facebook. We look forward to reading your story. Anton shares his story of stroke and his recovery, read by Ken. I was 59 years old when my stroke happened. I was just retired. My day started normally. I drove to the store, shopped, and came home. After lunch, I started writing down some notes and things I wanted to do later that day. My penmanship was terrible. I knew something was wrong, but I never suspected a stroke. I didn't know much about stroke. I had none of the usual symptoms. No headache, no fuzzy vision, dizziness. When I was walking to the kitchen, I fell down, and my right leg just gave out. I got up. My right arm felt funny too. I'm just thankful it happened at home and not while I was driving. But I was in denial. I thought, I just need to take it easy. The next day, I didn't feel any better. I called my neighbor and asked if she could take me to the hospital. I hated asking, but I did need help. At emergency, they told me I had an ischemic stroke, a blood clot in my brain. All the staff there were amazing. They told me I had high blood pressure and diabetes, and that this may have caused my stroke. I was then transferred to a rehab center. I worked hard and was able to walk again and read a lot of information about stroke. I had quick recovery, and the staff were very supportive. Now, I almost have no effects except I get tired really quickly. I thank God for my quick recovery and all the people who said prayers for me. I can walk, talk, even drive again. I'm not 100%, but I'm still working on it. Thank you, Anton. I can relate to the denial part. We're so glad your recovery is going so well. Now for our stroke link. That was an incredible interview. We are very fortunate to have a stroke ambulance so close to us. I know. Maybe one day there will be one in every community. Oh, that's a great vision. I hope so, too. Before we started the interview, Dr. Jerrica Thill shared a way to think about stroke and its effects that really simplified and amplified the seriousness of this terrible disease. I remember. That really struck home with me. Yeah, because I'm still not back at work. I'm hopeful, though. He said, if five people had a stroke, one would die, one would be left with a major disability, needing care such as nursing home, one would be left with moderate disability and may get home, one would be left with minor disability and may make it back to work, 
and one would make a full recovery. He also stated that three out of the five is an outcome none of us would want. That is for sure. It's so interesting and really supports the need for the stroke ambulance. While we were preparing for this interview, I looked online and I found some great articles talking about the stroke ambulance in Edmonton. It includes many links with great information. And there's even some YouTube videos from Dr. Jerrica Phil. I watched those. <laughs> great photos, too. We've learned so much. We're pretty lucky to have the stroke ambulance here and the team of people dedicated to finding the best possible outcomes for stroke victims. If you want to learn more about Canada's stroke ambulance, we recommend this site. Just type in to Alberta Health Services and in the search box, type stroke ambulance. And there you go. And don't forget FAST. It's an easy and it's the best way to help you remember the signs, symptoms, and what to do if you or a loved one may be having a stroke. FAST, face, arm, speech, time. A stroke can bring on unusual symptoms like numbness, tingling, drooping, or paralysis on one side of your face or one arm and can affect your speech, slurring or jumbled. T for time, don't delay. Get medical help immediately. If you suspect a stroke, you can call 911 in Canada for emergencies. Or if you have questions, call HealthLink in Canada at 1-866-408-5465 to talk to a healthcare professional. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, or if you have any questions, comments, jokes, or ideas for future topics, contact us at our website, sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to hear more about Christine's journey, please check out the website. Her book is available for purchase. Thank you for joining us today. We know life can be tough, unfair, but you're stronger than you think, and you're not alone. Goodbye and good health.